This is Office Hours with the Practical Prop and Friends with me, Dr. Santo D. Marabella, your workplace advisor and teacher. Hi, and welcome to this edition of Office Hours with the Practical Prof, dot, 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 and friends. Hi, this is uh, Santo Marabella. Nice to uh, be back after a little bit of a, I guess we took a little holiday hiatus, but we are back celebrating February and um, lots of things going on in February, um, Black History Month. Um, Groundhog thing, but oh, President's Day. But I think the thing that we always think about in February is this thing called Valentine's Day. So I have a special guest with me that I'll introduce in just a minute. And we're going to talk about uh, this whole idea of Valentine's Day. You know, I did some research for the column, which will. Um, published on February 18th in the Reading Eagles Business Weekly, which has been fun. It's been something I've done for the last nine years, I think. Yeah, going on nine years. And then um, in this column, I talked about being being our own Valentine, which, you know, it's not a novel idea because I've read a number of other uh, articles in the popular press that talk about Valentine's. And actually, this concept of being your own Valentine, right? Excuse me, just let me get some water here. And so when I started doing research, I thought, this is kind of cool. And I think this is something we, we need to talk more about. So for the column, you'll see, when you read that, please, you'll see that I found out a little bit about the history of Valentine's Day, which <laughs> I had no idea. Um, no idea that it had such a... Um, volatile, interesting, um, debated history and origin, but it does. And so you'll read about that. You'll learn about that and get some chuckles there. And then this idea of us uh, actually, you know, loving ourselves. Um, it sounds, you know, all this, oh, he's that self-love thing, you know, and it's like, yeah, actually it, it is about that. It is about treating ourselves really well. And so I thought, well, for the challenge, because, you know, we follow uh, the column on the the third week, we follow on the fourth Tuesday with the um, Challenge the Profs column. And, you know, and we've had really this past year, we've had great response from our readers, um, lots of participation. And I thought, oh, this would be great. I'll um, I'll introduce the topic, which was going to be Right, write yourself a Valentine, your own Valentine. And then there were crickets and <laughs> more crickets. And I got one response, which is a beautiful response, and you'll see it in the in the column. But it really it really was made me <clears throat> pardon me, curious. <clears throat> yeah, it's the, the winter cold that everybody was getting. It made me very curious what is going on. Why why are people having so much trouble, right, about just saying what they like about themselves, not in a, in a bragging way, although that's the way everybody takes it, right? So I, um, as you know, this is about, you know, the office hours and friends. So my friend this month, who's been a friend for the last year or two or three, I can't even remember, um, is Ellen Longacre, and she's a counselor. Um, 
And so, Ellen, thank you for uh, joining me today because I just needed to go to somebody who could give us more insight on this whole notion of why why is it so hard for people to say, you know, I I like myself. So, are Ellen, asking, are you asking me that question now? I sure am. First I of all, am. welcome. First I of all, welcome talk. to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you. Thanks uh, for inviting me. I love this topic, by the way, uh, because I agree that it is uh, an area where lots of people really struggle with the idea that talking about yourself in a positive way is somehow wrong, conceited, shameful, all of the above. And yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so when you find yourself saying something nice about yourself in a group or with someone else, you see that uncomfortability from the other side. Maybe some, oh, you know, um, a, a feeling like I'm, I don't know that this is okay to talk like this about ourselves. Where do we get that? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I have a feeling it's particular to our culture. It seems, it seems Americans, you know, and when one ways we're the biggest uh, braggarts, you know, the lead salesperson of the month, the year, the century, you know, and uh, the best at this, the best at that, we got to be number one. And then it's such, it seems like such a dichotomy when it comes to us personally, individually, just being able to recognize what we're good at, right? Absolutely. And, um, and, and getting that, you know, that, uh, that internal, okay, that permission Mm -hmm. to say, yeah, you're pretty, pretty good. You're pretty good at this. You're pretty strong at that. You know, um, you have it going on over here. Maybe we're more comfortable, Santa, with external reinforcement, you know, with other people telling us that we're good at this or we're uh, acceptable or worthwhile. Maybe that's part of it. Well, not only... Are we better at it? But it sometimes it seems like we thrive on it that other people have to validate us. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't want to follow that pattern. So I would like you to, I invite you to tell our listeners a little bit about you and all these awesome things that have been a part of your career. Well, you know, if it, just to introduce myself a little bit, uh, I started my career probably about uh, 45 years ago. And, um, and I started out as a social when you were, when you were five, right? <laughs> oh, I, if, if only, if only. <laughs> and, and, and so I, you know, when I was, um, in my first part of my career, I focused on, uh, younger people, you know, and adolescents and, uh, adolescents that were in crisis that were running away from home and then adolescents that were struggling you know, looking for some kind of worth and purpose on the street. And so we, we were doing prevention work at the time. Um, and that, that was, you know, and that probably always will be uh, a focus of mine in terms of being a social worker and looking at the world from 
what is going on with people and uh, how can we help each other. That's probably my mindset. But then my, I traveled uh, to this area. I, I grew up in Northeast Pennsylvania and I traveled to Reading after I was married and uh, got a position in a drug and alcohol outpatient clinic and learned a pack load about uh, addiction, which is a particularly painful disease that many people struggle on so many different levels. And, um, and so I did that for a while until uh, I found myself after um, graduating from graduate school in uh, psychological counseling, I, I thought, you know, I really would like to do one-to-one therapy. And, um, and I was given the opportunity at my OBGYNs. She said, after I had my first child, she said, you want to, you know, see people that I see. And so I practiced in women's health for at least another 10 years. And then I came into private practice. And here's what I'll tell you. Uh, mm-hmm. that this is my favorite job ever. <laughs> and, awesome. and again, this may sound somewhat egotistical, but I really like working for myself. <laughs> it's okay you're allowed it's, Thanks. You're, being, you're being your own valentine today right <laughs> absolutely how how forward thinking though 10 years ago for the the uh, health provider the OBGYN to to think of combining services and partnering with with a therapist that's amazing isn't it well you know she is and she is still, but um, she was uh, an innovative practitioner. You know, she had a, a, a big practice, an all female um, staff, and she was really interested in providing uh, a whole swath of services for women. Um, and she has, and she has over the years. And you're right, it was really innovative. Because I would imagine then issues of what postpartum depression, you could get that at a, at a much earlier stage before it became uh, immobilizing, perhaps. Totally. That was one of the ideas that and of course, most people think that 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 would probably be my uh, wheelhouse. That that's what I would focus on. But actually, women were coming to her their doctor and maybe you know, she was the only person that they were seeing uh, as a practitioner. So she would be listening to a lot of the different things that were going on in their lives and noticing that they were suffering from depression, that they were struggling in relationships, that they were dealing with grief, that they had extreme anxiety or panic attacks. And, uh, And so she was that person that was hearing all that and um and looking for ways that they that she could find resources for them and that's when she began the idea of well maybe i should have somebody in house to be doing that wow i mean that's that's how the stigma about reaching out for support for talk therapy it's for people like her and you 
that this is changing over the years, that it's, it's, it's becoming more okay and acceptable, thankfully. So, wow, good on you folks. That's, that's awesome. You know what? And, and it could be just, um, you know, that I see things from a, a skewed perspective in terms of my practice, but I notice particularly the younger generation uh, more apt to reach out and to be um, open to the idea of therapy. I, I see it consistently. Yeah, good. And not at the stigma. Good. We're uh, talking with my guest, Ellen Longacre, counselor, MA in private practice. And we're talking about being your own Valentine. Um, and we talked about why it's kind of difficult for some people to do that. Um, and, I, and I get it. I get that, you know, the culture of business, of organizations, doesn't exactly make it easy to do that <laughs> um, in society in general. But then let's focus for a minute on business, on an environment. And, um, you know, I think the environment can work against us in, in terms of doing that. What, what do you see as some of the obstacles or, or how do you see environments in business, to, uh, in organizations that are not helpful to us being able to just talk about what we do well? Well, you know, that that's a great question because my particular uh, interest is listening to people in their work areas and trying to navigate those unique territories and, and cultures in where they work. And uh, one of the things that I think about right away in a culture, um, in a, a business place or a working environment is that many times it's not emotionally safe to reveal too much about yourself. The politics of the office uh, might be hard for some people to read or might be really easy to read. Uh, and, but what it suggests is that emotionally it wouldn't be such a great idea to reveal too much about themselves because it may backfire. And backfire, backfire is what, uh, maybe not being promoted, not getting a raise, not getting a job, getting fired, things like that. Yeah. Because here's, here's an idea that I, that I have and I'll throw out to you is that, you know, there are biases and judgments happening all the time. We all are doing that. Um, however, some of us are more aware of our biases mm -hmm. and may, you know, um, look over somebody who is up for a promotion because of something that was said um, and not even realize that they have a bias or a prejudice about hearing something mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. they might have revealed or shared with them. And so there's that that part of things is that it, it could end up backfiring in a way that um, that they wouldn't even conceive of. And uh, the manager, or the supervisor or administration um, might not even be aware that they are working in that way. 
Yeah, I fear that a lot of this subtext to the culture, it's not, you know, that there's a, in your handbook, don't talk about yourself or don't acknowledge what you're good at, but this very embedded uh, undertone, the way, what you just described. And Mm -hmm. what it, so, you know, I'm still optimistic. I still believe there's more good, more possibility than there isn't. But what can organizations do if, they want to really address this and and try to reshape the culture. So here's another, here's an idea that I borrow probably from uh, Brene Brown and her research that she does with organizations as well as people. And one of the things that um, people sometimes assume is that they have to be perfect at work. They have to not show that they make mistakes, that mistakes uh, many times are not something that they can do in the work area. And so what what ends up happening is then they try to cover up, you know, their mistakes or or all all of that 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 goes on with. But but we're human beings and and that's the the nature of, of growing is failing and learning through our mistakes. So that would be a mindset change. Uh, you mean like to- tolerating failure? Yeah. yeah, like tolerating failure. Ooh, that's wow. a novel idea. I mean, I feel like for, for 20-some years of teaching that I've said this over and over, and it's like, is it changing? Are we... Are we giving people a break here and saying, it's okay. That's how we create. That's how we innovate. We try. What was the quote? I'll never remember if it was Edison or Lincoln or somebody that said, you know, how many thousands of times they failed and then they won one time. I think it was Lincoln's attempt at public office or Thomas Edison's attempt at electricity. I don't know. The light bulb maybe. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think. So it's like, oh my gosh, how long does it take us to learn? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there was one thing that we talked about that's that's in the interview that I thought was really interesting we should focus a little bit on today and that's this notion of being wired for the negative. Yeah. Yeah. That that's something that with uh, neuropsychology coming to the forefront right now um one of the things that they know for sure is that in our DNA we're we're wired for a negative bias a negative way to look at the world, to look at people, to look at ourselves. Uh, That's the survival instinct in us that we're wired for. So in order for us to offset that, we have to work on looking at things from a positive perspective every day in every way we can. Like actually deliberately, deliberately, right? deliberately yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah is reframing it reframing it reframing. is this come from does this come from the waiting for the other shoe to drop kind of thing um yeah that probably is a really good example of you know making sure that you're prepared for the worst because hey that snaggletooth tiger could come around the corner and uh gobble you up 
Um, I think I've mastered that. I'm pretty, really, really doing well at that. I should offer a master's class. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Call, it's under the curriculum Worry 101. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know what they say about that worry muscle. The more you use it, the stronger it becomes. Yeah. Um, now, if only I'd work those physical muscles as well, I would have a 12-pack. Ellen. <laughs> oh, honestly, we all are there. <laughs> and I know, we all know that I, don't, I will never have a 12-pack. I just want a two-pack. <laughs> a two-pack in physical and then less on the worry side. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I love, I love how neuroscience has finally been, you know, gotten the credibility and respect that it deserves because we learn so much. I mean, I know that you have... Um, worked in EMDR and helped many people going through trauma. Um, tell, tell the listeners a little bit about that. That's such a powerful tool. Well, it, it is. Um, many times when I was originally trained uh, about 20 years ago, uh, mm-hmm. my, after we, my, myself and some other clinicians went together, uh, we came back and started doing EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization reprocessing um, back here. And we said, I don't even know how we did talk therapy without EMDR available to us. And, and I continue to feel like that is a really valuable tool. So the, the trauma or uh, defining moments that we uh, face uh, in our lifetime and in our history, many times freezes uh, our emotional content of that experience. So then we become stuck in this negative loop of, I am not in control, I am not worthy, I am, I am a failure, and we operate from that mindset. So in order to get out of that mindset, in order to get out of that way of thinking, what we have to do is reprocess that event. And and in EMDR, we use bilateral stimulation. And there's all types of different ways that people can help uh, people uh, access the right and their left side of their brain, uh, their cognitive side and their affective side. And then they end up feeling calmer. And that's another part of neuropsychology that we really are comfortable with is the prefrontal cortex is something that we really want to calm down and be calm. And then when it's calm, we can create a whole new uh, belief about ourselves. And and then we, we develop a positive belief about ourselves. So if we felt like I am powerless, uh, after this traumatic event, we might be able to reprocess it in a way that helps us to find um, times, maybe the, the statement might be, um, at times I am in control. Uh, mm-hmm. I have, now I have choices. Um, and those are really powerful um, ways to to move through the rest of your life and not have a traumatic event continue to uh, frame your your um, continued history. 
So yeah, it's it's such a wonderful, wonderful gift that um, therapists can can give clients. Um, you're listening to Office Hours with the Practical Prop and Friends, and my guest, my friend today, is Ellen Longacre, counselor, MA in private practice. And we're talking about being your own Valentine. We're talking about just being able to say, I'm good at this. I like this about myself. You know, we talked about um, in in the interview uh, for the Challenge to Prof section, we talked about sometimes, you know, we, we believe that there's possibilities of the organizations changing and um, then there's all these benefits. What what's, Why is it worth it for an organization to consider trying to reframe the culture or, or shift the focus in from, um, into a more accepting of, uh, tolerating failure, tolerating mistakes. What's the benefit? What do, what do companies get out of that? Well, what, one of the things I think of right away is when you have a more, um, emotionally safe culture, uh, an opportunity to potentially make mistakes and learn from them, what you get is more innovative and creative source sources. And, and people are free then to be more creative. And that those are good problem solvers. Those are great um, idea people, you know, that start to really push your um, business forward and um and into a whole new market so it it really benefits them in such a huge way to have that more tolerant understanding accepting um Mm -hmm. uh because in the end they end up being more successful because they have creative innovative people who like to come to work. And let's just spell that out. More success for your employees makes more money for your company. (laughs) 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 It's not as hard to draw the connections here, folks. (laughs) But a lot of companies do this. I, I, I honestly believe that. I really believe a lot of companies are doing this or trying to do this. And so I'm, I'm, I am still optimistic about it. I just, I think we have a lot to go, a, a long way to go, and I'm hoping that we continue that momentum. But, you know, we did talk about, and the one thing I, I teased in the, in the article is to, to say that you'd have to listen to the podcast about this, is that, you know, sometimes we don't, we don't get that in our career. We're not going to get that affirmation or that liberation to be ourselves completely, to, uh, you know, affirm ourselves. And... You know, it's not always practical to quit your job. I get that. So I, I like that you, you, what you talked about is that, you know, we can create these spaces that energize us and we can balance that out, that environment out that's not optimal by having it somewhere in our career. What, like, how, how important or why is this so important that we do that? Well, you know, one of the things that uh, you're talking about and one of my favorite words actually is balance is is looking for purpose and and a way that we feel connected and uh and and connected to what we love to do 
And so if we're not finding, you know, that uh, creative connection in our job, for instance, there's, uh, there's absolutely all kinds of different opportunities for us to do that uh, outside of our work and which, which help us to be um, a happier and more content and calmer person when we do come back into work. So let's say we love baseball and we developed this league because we always wanted to play adult softball, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that in and of itself could be this wonderful outside uh, event that, that enhances, you know, that person's feelings about themselves and about their social group. And when they come into work um, and they're not as, you know, uh, passionate about their job, they're happier. Mm-hmm. They're, they're doing something physical, they're doing something social, and uh, they're following their passion. So that's, yeah, that's just one example of how that balance. I mean, some people like to go to the gym, some people love yoga, some people love um, hiking, some people um, love to, to read and be in a, a, a reading group. The reading club, yeah. No. You know, I, I, I have often said this to students. I'm fortunate to, to work with a lot of uh, seniors who are getting ready to go into the world of work, and you know, they might have these ideas, these visions, and dreams of being a professional football player or a professional um, volleyball player, or, and, you know, they want to be realistic, or, and I'm sure their parents <laughs> want them to be realistic as well. And I get that you need to sustain your, yourself, but, but I'll often say to them that, you know, okay, so what, what's the backup if that doesn't work? And a lot of times they'll say, well, yeah, I'll just go make a lot of money. I'm like, okay, but so if you want to be a professional football player, what about working in the front office of a, of a football team? What about doing the sports management uh, stats or the marketing pieces or just so you're, connected to that industry to that thing that you're so passionate about and i i fear that sometimes it's just you know they don't see the benefit or it's just too much to try to fit that into a life when just go make money and then you know we'll go on that's well you know you're talking about which is a really wonderful um focus and and i i I actually believe in it very strongly is that Everybody has a dream. Um, sometimes I, I understand that that women sometimes have a harder time accessing their dreams. Uh, maybe not so much uh, lately, but in the past there has been. But everybody has a dream, and and the way that it's manifested doesn't have to be the original dream that you have, like being a a professional football player, like you right. had made as right. an example. It could be being a part of football or being a part of coaching or being a part of the the, um, sport that you absolutely love. But following your dream or some part of it and coming up with, okay, plan A is this. What's plan B? All right. Um, Well, plan B is working for a while. What about plan C? But it's still (laughs) on that particular wavelength that's related to your dream. 
Following yeah. your dream is really important. I, I cannot agree more. That's, that's really, really important. I, um, all right, I'm going to put you on the spot, but I'm going to give you a couple minutes to think about this because we'll talk about one other thing. So I want you to, I want to invite you to share your Valentine for yourself today. And I'll start with one that I share for myself about myself. So I'll give you some time to think on that. But I guess if I were sending myself a Valentine today, it would be, I like the way, and I, I think I put this in the column. I do care about people. I'm all about people. I like the way I care about people in this way, particularly. I like that I really want people to succeed, whether they're students, whether they're uh, colleagues, whether they're friends. And I like being helpful in, in their journey of whatever. And a lot of times it's professional. Um, sometimes it's academic, but mostly it's, it's professional and personal goals. And I get such a uh, wonderful satisfaction about seeing people go from point A to point A1 or A2, or maybe even point B, <laughs> depending. But I think that's a neat part of me that, that, um, makes me feel good about uh, who I am. So what do you think? Okay. So, you know, interestingly enough, right away, maybe not interesting to, enough to you or anybody else, but to me, <laughs> that doesn't matter. That what pops up for me right away, and this is something that I am passionate about and I'm passionate about in my work as well, is I absolutely like the way that I take care of myself. Mm, and good. so my self-care um, patterns are um, absolutely significant and essential for me to be the person that I want to be at work or with friends and family or with strangers. So, so what I like about myself is that I not only talk the talk, but I walk the walk. And for you, and what a great, what a great example too, because you know, I, I'm sure it comes up in, in sessions, and it, and then at least you can come from a place of the struggle for you and how you constantly are uh, monitoring yourself and helping yourself to stay on that course. That's yeah. awesome. And it's not perfect. It's not a perfect uh, course. It's you're, we're always tweaking ourselves right. because some things show up and you thought, mm, okay, I'll do that then. And, and then that becomes part of your support, your self care. And uh, so it's always evolving, evolve or repeat. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Final question. This is a fun one. Do you remember your first Valentine? <gasps> yes, I do. You do? It's important to me, I think. I, I do. Um, well, remember in, in grade school, everybody would be encouraged to make their own Valentine's boxes. And, right. um, and then you would share Valentine's, those little tiny Valentine's that you have <laughs> yes. or records or yep. someplace. But my first Valentine that mattered to me was from a young boy named 
John Bublow, who was my first crush. Ah. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Does he know that? You know, I don't know. I mean, I think he, we both had a crush on each other in third grade. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. Shout out to John. <laughs> if you're listening, it's too late now, but just so you know, <laughs> there's a special place in, in Ellen's heart. Oh, yeah. He opened it up just a wee bit. The what? He just opened it up a wee bit like that. Bye. Oh. special. So uh, mine was my mom. Yeah, and um, I would always make her cards. And um, as as I got older, they didn't get much better, <laughs> but they were still pretty crude in terms of the artistic uh, value, but they were made with love. And uh, they got, you know, thankfully technology got better, so I didn't have to improve that much in my drawing skills. And they got looking nicer because, you know, I was using whatever product uh, was on the computer to make these beautiful cards. Oh. But so, yeah, this is, as you know, this is a special Valentine's um, oh. for mom. Uh, she passed uh, recently and I wanted to dedicate today's podcast uh, to her because she is definitely a sweetheart val- a Valentine in heaven these days. So. Certainly she is. Ellen, what a pleasure. You know, we just zipped through this and it's, I don't know, my gosh, it's the longest podcast and one of the most fun and informative. As we, I, I didn't think we'd have any trouble talking, right? Right. I didn't right. question that. So this has been the uh, Office Hours with the Practical Prof and Friends and my guest, Ellen Longacre, Counselor MA, is in private practice. Thank you so much, Ellen, for sharing your insights and your experience with our uh, listeners today. Oh, my pleasure, Santo. I, I really enjoyed it. Good, good. We'll have you back. We'll, we'll talk again. Sounds good. So uh, don't forget, uh, look us up on Twitter, um, on Instagram, Facebook. You know, we're all over social media, The Practical Prof or Practical Prof. I think it says at the end of the the outro you'll hear exactly how to look us up um and stay tuned don't forget the reading eagle business weekly columns as uh the third tuesday and the fourth tuesdays of the month this for the month of february 2020 that's going to be february 18 and february 25 um depending but you can always check it out online on uh, readyeagle.com this has been uh dr santo d marabella And thanks for listening. This has been Office Hours with the Practical Prof and Friends, a production of Marabella Enterprises. Follow us on Twitter at Practical Prof and Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at The Practical Prof. Copyright 2020, all rights reserved.